You are listening to episode 17 of the Floxy Hope podcast. Our guest today is Scott Rose, and Scott has generously recorded the Floxy Hope podcast twice, and I have shared both of his recorded podcasts here, but it means that this is a very, very long, long podcast, Um, and some of the information is repeated, and several times the sound is really bad, so I apologize about that. I hope that you guys will get great information from Scott. Most of the places where the sound is bad, it is uh, the sound being bad from me. Uh, So enjoy, and I apologize for the lack of professional sound quality. I don't think that being a professional podcaster is in my future. Thanks, and have a great day. You're listening to Episode 17 of the Floxy Hope Podcast. My name is Lisa Bloomquist Palmer, and our guest today is Scott. Thank you so much for joining us, Scott. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me, Lisa, and thanks so much for everything you are doing for the Floxy community. You are incredible. Oh, it's my pleasure. You know, gotta gotta make lemonade out of lemons, right? <laughs> it's, it's so true. It's so true. I think that's probably the lesson for all of us with this situation, right? <laughs> yeah, there there has to be something to do to be to make the best out of this, and you know, helping others is what. Um, helps me to to get through it, and it's certainly helped me to get through a lot of the anger. So, um, anyhow, I hope that oh. these podcasts and the other stuff on Foxy Hope does help people. And um, I'm sure that your story—I I have heard your story. Just to disclose to the audience, um, this is Scott's second recording of the Foxy Hope podcast because yeah. I couldn't figure out how to do the sound earlier. So. Um, <laughs> So, so anyhow, welcome, welcome to the show, Scott. And can you? Can, I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh no! I said you're welcome, and this is take two for us. Take ta- take two. Second time for the win. Um, <laughs> so, uh, can you tell the audience just a little bit about your background, who you are, and um, how they can relate to you? Uh, yeah, yeah. My name is Scott Rose. Um, I run a company called ScottWorld.com. I'm primarily in the technology industry. I write uh, I write apps for businesses, so like iOS apps and Mac apps, and so I'm a software developer. And I also do uh, uh, a little bit of public speaking as well. I spoke around the country with Apple uh, for six years, and um, I spoke at all their uh, major events, and I helped them open up the first 20 uh, retail stores around the country. I spoke at all their uh, retail store openings. So basically, uh, my life revolves around technology. I currently live in Austin, Texas. That's awesome. That sounds like an amazing experience. And um, it's great to have people who are comfortable public speaking uh, who are willing to speak about something like fluoroquinolone toxicity because certainly – I know that this this issue needs some publicity. So um, it certainly does. It certainly does. I feel like one of the big issues is. Sorry, did I just cut you off there, Lisa? Nope. No. <laughs> um, yeah, it really, really does. You know, I feel like one of the big issues, probably just in general, is that um, 
I think people are sort of just just the general public is just sort of blind to how dangerous so many of these prescription drugs really are. In, you know, especially fluoroquinolone is probably at the top of the list. But but like the the entire pharmaceutical industry is just peddling poison and and injuries to people all across the nation. Everyone is just like completely blind to all of it. Right, and I know I certainly was. Until it happened to me, like I never would have thought that an antibiotic could be dangerous. Like oh that just God. was, it, it was something that was so foreign to me that it, it's not something I ever would have thought of. And there are people out there who are much smarter than me who are like, yeah, I, I read all of the warnings and I just thought it wouldn't happen to me. I mean, I didn't even read the warnings. I just thought, hey, that would, that's unheard of. Like an antibiotic can't hurt oh. you. All antibiotics do is good and learned that lesson the hard way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, and then the other thing is, you know, they're always like, oh, you know, your, your doctors, you know, at, you know, after something like this happens, you know, I know that you've experienced it, other people experience it, you know, the doctors say, um, you know, things that are contradictory. They're like, oh, well, all drugs have side effects. And then it's like, okay, so all drugs have side effects. And then, but then in the same breath, they'll say, but it's so incredibly rare. And it's, and it's actually not true at all. Right. Right. Like all drugs do have side effects, but what are we going to do when we're faced with these side effects? Like, are you going to recognize these side effects? Are these side effects common? Are they rare? Do we even know? You know, all of those, all of those questions deserve some answers. And um, I know that you're asking those questions. I'm certainly doing my best to, to ask some of these questions and to demand some answers. And I think that that the more people who are demanding answers to these questions, the better. It'll make the world a safer place. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, there's this there's this cartoon. I'll send you a, I'll send you a JPEG of this little cartoon where they show a uh, a doctor standing up in front of the uh, uh, I mean I mean a professor standing up in front of the med school on the first day of medical school, and on the chalkboard it says. In gigantic letters, uh, in gigantic letters, it says, "Preventative medicine kills," and then in small letters it says, "Repeat business." Preventative medicine kills. Repeat business, and and then it says, first day of med school." And you know, this is this really sums up, in my opinion, the entire medical industry in this country you know if you there's there's so many great documentaries that have been created about this the one i saw most recently was called the truth about cancer and they spent so much time showing how the pharmaceutical industry owns every single medical school in this country they create the curriculums they dictate what is taught and and you know the doctors in this country all they know is what the pharmaceutical industry tells them there's not even one nutrition course that's required for any doctor in the entire country and if people don't believe me you could pick up the phone right now and call Harvard or UCLA or Princeton or Stanford or Cornell whichever med school you want to call you can call them up, talk to the medical school and say, hey, if I want to get a medical degree there, you know, and I go through six years of your program, uh, how many nutrition courses do I need to take? How many home, you can even go even further, you can say, how many uh, homeopathy courses do I need to take or whatever, you know, holistic medicine courses. And the answer is zero. The, the only thing they're taught 
is drugs, 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 and a little bit of surgery. Right, right. And did you have this perspective of questioning medicine and questioning like the medical paradigms before you got hurt by um, a fluoroquinolone? Or is this something that has really changed your perspective? You know, it's interesting. It's a, it's a very interesting question because I, I was always slightly skeptical of it because I read a lot of alternative news. You know, and the, uh, you know really alternative news is really where, where you can get your real news source, your news information from. The, so this is actually, to, to answer your question, I feel stupid because I was already skeptical, yet I went down this path anyways. And it wasn't until I got injured by fluoroquinolones that I was like, oh my God, I had no idea how bad it was. You know, you can sort of like be skeptical of something and you're like, oh, okay, well, they're probably not causing that much damage. And you're like, I know it's really bad. I know it's probably a little bad. They're getting paid off by these pharma companies. But until you actually experience the actual destruction that they're doing, you don't actually realize how incredibly bad it was. So I feel stupid because I was already skeptical and yet I was still blinded by the white lab coat. You know, that's sort of what I call it. You know, this whole white lab coat thing is, is, is such a trick also because it's, it's a uniform that is designed to make us have obedience towards them. You know, that's why they're all required to wear the white lab coats. You know, it's part of, you know, it's all part of social engineering. You know, the, you know, the pharmaceutical industry is a trillion dollar industry, you know, with all these ads on television and, and, you know, and I know, you know, all this stuff. And the thing about the pharmaceutical industry is that they spend the majority of their money on lobbying and marketing and a, and a small percentage on research and development. And I'll tell you something, and this is terrifying also is that I met a guy on a cruise <laughs> and he worked in the pharmaceutical industry and um, over some alcohol some night, he told me about how absolutely corrupt the pharmaceutical industry is. I mean, we all know this already, but what he told me is, is that when he's in these meetings, um, I forgot exactly what his role was, but he told me that, you know, when they go in these meetings, he goes, he goes, sometimes what these meetings are about is these people know how dangerous their drugs are, how many people they're going to be damaging. I mean, how damaging they're going to be to people. And he says that a lot of times they have these conversations in these meetings with the executives and they go something like this. They say, okay, when this drug gets pulled off the market for being dangerous in five to 10 years from now, we are going to be slapped with a $5 billion class action lawsuit. If this, if it gets pulled off the market, they said, and, and then the questions come up, how much profit can we make before it gets pulled off the market? And then the answer in the meeting is, Okay, well, we believe that we can make 50 to $100 billion before it gets pulled off the market, and we believe our maximum liability will be $5 billion with the class action lawsuit. So this is definitely, absolutely a profitable venture for us to go down. So this guy told me 
that he was collecting all this evidence of he had been recording these meetings in secret and he had stolen all these PowerPoint slides of all these presentations. And he told me that his big grand plan was to sort of reveal all this stuff to the public in an Edward Snowden type style. So all these inner workings of these meetings would come to fruition. I was like, and I was super behind that. This is just a few months after I was poisoned. And so I was like really on board with this. And then he said, he said, yeah, I've been thinking about it for a while. He goes, but the thing is, I don't even think the public would even be outraged about any of this. He goes, I don't even think it would even help. And he goes, and then the other thing is, then I am going to be killed by these guys. They're going to hunt me down for revealing all this information. So he was like, I don't even know if I'm going to do anything with this information. He said, like, look at the Edward Snowden revelations. He goes, nothing has changed and nobody even cares. He said, if I reveal all this, the only thing I'm doing is putting my life at risk and it's not going to change anything. Wow. How's that for a story, How's that for a story Lisa? Well, there's, <laughs> that's, that's a story, Scott. Like, my, my goodness. You know, I, I think that if someone, just my, just my perspective, like, I think that if someone had asked me, like, is the pharmaceutical industry profit-motivated and, and a bit corrupt before I got hurt by Cipro, I would have said like, yeah, sure. You know, that makes, that makes sense. But overall, there are a lot of people in there who are working really hard to try and cure diseases. And that's their main point is to cure diseases, not to be like a self-perpetuating machine that enriches their, their stockholders. Like they really, they really do care about their credos. And now, you know, like, honestly, I'm not, I'm not that sure if they, if as institutions, they actually care about the people and their, and their credos. And I know that your answer would be like, no, no, they don't at all. <laughs> like, yeah. And maybe I'm just like, I'm, I'm still a bit more, a bit more moderate, but like, but certainly I know that, like you said, like they're, they're interested in that marketing and in that ROI and how much of their budgets are going to be devoted to figuring out side effects and to figuring out how to fix the damage that their drugs do. Um, about zero. There's no yeah, incentive for them to do that. About zero. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know, the other thing is, isn't it interesting, though? You know, you also have to think about how unbelievably arrogant this, the whole medical industry, the Western medical industry is to even think that they can master the human body. Like, it's like the human body has like, what, like, like a billion different things that are happening every second in our body. And they believe that they can somehow, like figure this stuff out and without there being side effects and all these terrible things. And, and they're just so reckless about it. Right. Right. There's a huge amount of hubris involved. Absolutely. You know, with, when we're flooding our bodies with drugs and just kind of like, Hey, I hope this will work out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. See, and that, yeah, and that ties into the big, 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 big lie that they tell us every single day. And by the way, we're one of only two countries, I believe. I think New Zealand's the other country where, where the pharmaceutical industry is even allowed to advertise on television mm -hmm. to, directly to consumers and in, and in magazines and stuff like that. Uh, maybe there's more than two countries, but I, I don't actually know. But, but we're just a tiny, tiny handful of countries that where the pharmaceutical companies have gotten such a grip over – the media and the government that they're allowed to market directly to consumers, which leads into the big, 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 big lie, which I was about to say, which is in every single advertisement and every single warning brochure and every single, 
you know, <laughs> I guess every single time they talk about drugs, they always say, if you are experiencing any of these side effects, be sure to contact your doctor immediately. And what they never tell you is that as soon as you contact your doctor, the first thing is your doctor is going to call you crazy. The second thing that is the doctor is going to deny everything. And the third and final thing is that your doctor is going to say that they actually have no idea what to do at that point. Right. Right. Like I, I felt really betrayed by that too. I just kind of had this assumption that – you know, something goes wrong, you go to the, you go to your doctor. If you have an adverse drug reaction, if your body feels like a bomb is going off in it, you go to your doctor and your doctor will fix you. And I think that learning that it's not that easy was really hard for me. Yeah, yeah. And you know, yeah, totally. And when they say that you can't afford to get sick, like, you know, I, I, don't, know, I don't know if you ever heard that expression before, you know, people always say that you can't afford to get sick. Um, like they really mean it. I mean, like I spent like probably thirty, forty thousand dollars out of pocket, like visiting specialists and trying different Western treatments and all these different things. And, you know, and nobody has answers. Nobody has answers. And it is a betrayal. So, so now that we've talked about how evil pharma is for I guess around 16, 16 minutes. Let's um, <laughs> let's let's chat about exactly what your story is as far as fluoroquinolone toxicity goes. Like what what happened to you? What was your journey? Oh yeah, I will talk about that. And you know, and and you know, sorry that it's like you know, there's that that there's a lot of anger coming at me, but I think that anger is a big part of this journey. I, I think so too. Um, and, and, and it can it can be a healthy and productive part of it, and it can also be a destructive part of it. So, you know, it, it depends on kind of where you are in your in 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 your journey. Anger can help people get get things done, but of course, it can eat away at you too. But yeah, um, absolutely, absolutely. And I think yeah, you know, even though I'm, you know, I got to turn off this phone because I just realized that. My phone is ringing in the background here. Um, so, um, yeah, it's true. It's true. And, you know, even though, you know, I'm talking to anger right now, I think for the most part I'm, on a daily basis, I'm, I'm now beyond the anger. You know, I'm, I'm, re, I'm reliving it with you right now in this podcast. But the good news is I've gotten over most of it. And, and now it's enabled me to move forward in life with caution and to be 100% skeptical as opposed to just like 50% skeptical before. Great. But anyways, back to the journey. <laughs> 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 so, so you know, it it all is part of the journey. You know, like even even the anger is part of the is part of the journey. But uh, yeah, let us let's let's talk about your journey through fluoroquinolone toxicity. What happened? Yeah, it, so it started in uh, summer of two thousand thirteen. So now we're at the end of two thousand sixteen. So this is three and a half years ago, and um, I had uh, diarrhea for like a day, and it was like. But it was like, it was like, like throughout the day, like every like 10, 15 minutes or so or something like that. And it, it like, it, it wasn't stopping. It was going for like 24 hours. So it was maybe some sort of something I ate or some sort of stomach flu or, or I don't know what it was. And, um, and of course, you know, a lot of times I guess we blame ourselves for these things, right? Instead of me like maybe doing something simple, like maybe, I don't know, an anti-diarrhea over-the-counter medication or maybe taking a probiotic or I don't know, you know, doing anything simple. The very first thing I did 
right, was 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 like immediately like like drive down to the Western doctor's office, you know, and so like right off the bat, I feel like I made like a, a poor decision, but you know, they, they ingrain in us, you know, that you can trust your doctors. And so I went to my doctor and I guess it was the, like the next morning at that point. And I was like, you know, the last day, you know, I've had like nonstop diarrhea and and of course, it didn't help that she got like all panicky as well. You know, she's like, oh, you know, she's like, oh, well, it could be this bacteria or this bacteria or this virus or this virus and blah, 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 blah. And she was rattling off all these different things it could be. And uh, I mean, I don't think, I don't know, panicky is the right word, but, it, you know, she was very um, alarmist in a way. And um, so she had me do, she sent me down to the lab and had me do like these tests, like, um, I guess there was a fecal test and there's probably other tests. I can't remember everything. And, um, she, but what I do know is that she was testing me for all sorts of different bacterias and all sorts of different viruses. Like I know that E. coli was one of the things that she was testing for and all these other, I think she tested me for rotavirus and, um, there was a whole gigantic list of bacterias and viruses that she was testing me for. And, um, so the results came back like a few hours later and, um, and I came back negative for everything. There was, I, I did not come back. Everything she tested me for came back negative. And, and then she told me, she's like, well, I don't know what it is. She goes, it's probably a virus of some sort. You don't, she goes, you know, basically I didn't have any of the real serious things that she was testing where she's probably some sort of a stomach bug or some sort of virus. It's probably going to, uh, go away on its own. And she goes, but just in case, <laughs> like, like, like as, as if it was a preventative measure, she goes like, just in case she goes, I'm going to prescribe Cipro to you just in case it's some bacteria. Um, and you should take uh, this antibiotic because, um, you know, just in case it's a bacteria, this will help. <laughs> so she prescribed me uh, Cipro. And um, I feel lucky that she gave me a relatively small amount, you know, compared to some of the stories I've read from other people. She prescribed me 250 milligrams twice a day for five days. So 500 milligrams times five, that's uh, so 2,500 milligrams total is what I end up taking. And, um, and the interesting thing is that, um, it didn't help. So there, so it, I actually did continue to have diarrhea. It did slow down a little bit, but I did continue to have diarrhea during the next five days while I was taking the Cipro. So the Cipro didn't stop it from happening. Um, and, um, and, um, you know, at the end of the five days, um, I still had the diarrhea. So I guess there was something weird going on and, but the Cipro certainly didn't help it at the, you know, six days later, I still had it. And then like on the sixth day, like my girlfriend's like, Hey, you should take one of these over the counter anti-diarrhea medications. And so I took one of those pills and which I guess are maybe a little safer because it's over the counter. And so I took one of those and and that's what actually solved the issue for me. I took like one pill of this anti-diarrhea medication 
And it like totally solved the issue for me. And that same day, I was like, well, you know what? If it's something in my gut, I should probably like be taking probiotics or something. So I started taking some probiotics like on that sixth day as well and uh, some kombucha as well, which has probiotics in it. And so basically on that sixth day is pretty much when I when I noticed the, the difference. It was it was pretty much right after I took the anti-diarrhea pill, which stopped it. So and that was that was it, a lot of detail, Lisa. Did you enjoy all the detail of the story? I, I did, but in in retrospect, you got you got to kind of hit yourself and just go, "Man, I should have just taken that that anti diarrheal pill pill in the first place, and not taking the Cipro." And I know, you know, it's easy to beat ourselves up over over any steps in the process, but um, you know, we yeah. do the best we can with the information that we have, and. Just kind of don't don't beat yourself up. It's kind of what I'm trying. Is kind of what I'm what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I really um, also, that. and before we start talking about how the Cipro ended up affecting you, even though it didn't it didn't cure the diarrhea, I want to mention that it drives me a little bit nuts that Cipro is prescribed just in case. You know, yeah. just in case you get traveler's diarrhea, here you go. Have this have this prescription, even though you're perfectly healthy, even though traveler's diarrhea could be due to a variety of viruses or um, I don't know, just eating something that's that's a bit off, uh, or or even uh, just like unusual to your system. Here's some Cipro just in case, and like they're just they're playing Russian roulette with people's health, and it's really yes. a bit infuriating when I hear about people getting those getting those prescriptions because. They're healthy when they get those prescriptions, at least when someone has like, you know, a life-threatening case of bronchitis or something like that, or, um, you know, some sort of confirmed infection. It's at least justifiable that they get the, that they get the Cipro when it's prescribed just in case, like it's just negligence. It's, it's, it's total, it's total negligence. And, and, you know, and, and in my case, what's so interesting is that if you actually, when I went back many months later and read the brochure for Cipro about which bacteria it's actually supposed to target, the, the, the speaking of negligence, um, I actually tested negative for every single bacteria that was listed in the brochure for Cipro. So, so the things that Cipro is actually supposed to target. My doctor, she already tested for those things in the lab, and I already tested negative, and then she prescribed me this thing anyways. Just in case. Just in case. Yeah, it's total yeah. negligence, which leads into a whole other thing. I won't go too deep into this, but you know, I also pursued, uh, tried to pursue the legal route as well. I met with, um, you know, I met with um, lawyers here in Texas, and um, and the, all the lawyers I met with. I met with like seven different lawyers and law firms and they were, they all looked through the records and stuff and they all confirmed that this woman was negligent. They said like, you know, and they talked with other doctors as well in the state and who said that, Oh yeah, this is, this should not even have been the, 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 the uh, standard of care. She's supposed to start. The doctor herself is supposed to start with an anti-diarrhea medication before she starts doing this, the Cipro stuff. But the thing is, though, um, it's almost, it's it's a pretty much impossible to sue a doctor in Texas. We have these tort reform laws here, and I know they're in other states as well. And supposedly, you know, the tort reform laws were supposed to prevent, like, um, you know, lawsuits from 
you know, frivolous lawsuits from patients and stuff. But that's really not the case. You know, the, the, the tort reform laws were designed to protect the medical establishment. And and from what the lawyers told me, you know, they tried for months to figure out a way to do some sort of lawsuit or something. And, and there was just absolutely no way to get in, even though they could prove with paperwork that this doctor was negligent, there was no way they could sue her because the laws are so stacked against the patient that, um, just as an example, like the only way that we could sue a doctor in Texas is we have to have another doctor who specializes in the exact same, um, um, field, which was, so she was like, I guess, family, medicine doctor. So we had to find another family medicine doctor who had to come and testify. So the, the other doctor had to be in the exact same state and they would have to come and testify that this doctor did not follow standard of care. So you would think that would be easy, but here's where the trick comes. The, the trick comes that all the doctors in the state of Texas all get their, um, their malpractice insurance from the exact same one company. There's only one company, apparently, that serves all the doctors in Texas. And if any of the doctors actually testify against another doctor, then they're cut off from their own insurance. Then they lose their insurance. The whole thing is an incestuous scam against the patient. And I don't think that people realize this. I certainly wouldn't have had a clue before I started doing this this work that I do. I wouldn't have had any idea how stacked against patients the legal system is too. Yeah. And and people, people hear about adverse drug reactions and they're like, well, why don't you just sue? And they don't understand that it is so much more difficult for so many reasons. And I had no idea about those laws and the malpractice insurance regulations in Texas. Like that's just one more way that the legal system keeps people from getting any sort of justice when they're hurt by a pharmaceutical. Like that's horrible. Absolutely. You know, when they say that we have a two tier justice system in America, it's absolutely true. You know, there's one level of justice that's reserved for the government and the industries that own our government, namely pharmaceuticals, you know, Monsanto, you know, those industries. And then there's the other tier of justice, which is reserved for the rest of us. And it's true. And I didn't understand how deep it was and how bad it was. Same thing with you can't even sue the, you know, the manufacturers of these drugs you know, particularly if you take the uh, the generic version, and a lot of people's health insurance, medical insurance, re- sometimes requires them to get the generic version, which which immediately uh, removes the possibility that they can even sue for any damage. And that's just appalling. It's such a miscarriage of justice. It absolutely it's, is. It's absolutely ridiculous. So, um, yeah. let's. Let me try and steer us back a little bit, Scott. I feel like like we're having a great conversation, and I really I think that the things that we're talking about, people will get some value out of. But I also want to give you a chance to tell your your story, and so that people understand exactly what happened to you and the things oh, yeah, that helped, you know the like, things that hurt. Yeah, we should, yeah, we should have started with the hope part of this, which is that. <laughs> So this is Loxy Hope, right? It is. It yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. But, but before we get to the hope part, let's talk about the injury part. So like, what, what were your symptoms of fluoroquinolone toxicity after you took the, the Cipro for um, five days? Then what? Oh, yeah. So nothing happened to me right away. 
Um, so I did not have an immediate reaction. Um, you know, so, so right away, you know, nothing happened, but about six months later, suddenly all these crazy things started happening in my body and I couldn't understand. So I had a delayed reaction and I couldn't really figure out what the hell was going on. Uh, the first thing that was like the major thing for me that seemed off was that, um, my Achilles tendon area in both of my legs was extremely, extremely painful at all times, like constant 24-7 pain. Now, luckily, you know, I didn't really get poisoned as bad as some people, so I did not actually have a tendon rupture. Um, one of uh, my friends actually did. Oh, I should put you in touch with her, too, to be on the podcast. Um, and um, she actually had two tendon ruptures in, bo- in both of her you know, both of her legs. I luckily didn't have that, but I had really intense pain in both of my Achilles tendons. I had peripheral neuropathy where, so there was in my fingers and my toes and my feet, there was constant tingling and numbness, you know, which is, I guess, uh, peripheral nerve damage. Um, I had really severe brain fog, which was really scary for me. Uh, since I have to use my brain at work a lot, <laughs> all the time, <laughs> I know you had that as well. And I had um, chronic fatigue. You know, the thing about chronic fatigue is that people, you hear chronic fatigue and you tell people, oh, well, you're fatigued, uh, why don't you go take a nap? And what they don't understand is that chronic fatigue is, there's no, it's like you're walking around like with the flu, like all the time, like no matter how much you sleep, you can't, you never, you never feel rested. It's always, it's hard to explain chronic fatigue unless you actually live through it. But it's sort of like, you know, it's, it's, sleep doesn't cure it, which leads to the other thing, which is I also had insomnia. I, I sort of described it to people as my REM cycles were not completing. Like I would sleep through the night and I would wake up just as exhausted as when I went to bed the the night before, you know, when I would eventually fall asleep. It's so that was part of it as well. Well um the other big part of it, which I still have to this day actually, is a lot of snapping tendons in my body, um, in the ankles, in my shoulders, in my wrists. Um, so all the tendons started cracking and snapping every single time I moved them. And I still have, I still have a lot of that today. Um, and so it felt like it literally felt like I was like a 40 year old guy. I was 40 at the time. Um, and suddenly overnight my body became like an 80 year old man. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I think that your story is very familiar for a lot of people. I'm sorry. What was that? Sorry. Uh, your, your story sounds very familiar. And I think that a lot of people will resonate with that. And just feeling like um, all of these things are going wrong. And just what in the world is going is going on? Things from insomnia to chronic fatigue to tendon ruptures and tendon, tendon um, tears. Things, all, all of those things put together. It's just terrifying. And... How did you put together that it was the Cipro that had done this to you? Yeah, see, that's, I think, that's like the big mystery, right? And I think that anybody listening to this should be really patting themselves on the back for figuring it out. 
because I think there's so many people walking around with these symptoms and they never ever put two and two together to realize that it was, oh my God, it was an antibiotic I took six months ago because it's so far removed for many people. And so to get to the point where you even figure out that this is what caused it is like, I think a huge, you know, reason to be, to be grateful because you're on the path to figuring it out. And so for me, you know, I, I actually, I actually did not really figure it out on my own. Well, I sort of did. I, I what happened was I was trying to figure it out. And I was like, did I, did I have an injury when I was jogging? Cause I, you know, I would jog every day and I was like, no, there's no injury. And it wasn't healing. You know, I wasn't getting better after all these months. And I was, you know, I was trying to rack my brain and luckily I read, um, Mercola.com on a regular basis. And, and he's been warning about fluoroquinolones for years, which I did not know. And luckily, right around the same time that I was going through all this, he published this article um, called something like warning, you know, these antibiotics can cause permanent nerve damage. And I read the article and I was like reading through this article. I was like, holy shit, these are like all the symptoms. So I just swore on your podcast. Sorry. The, uh, <laughs> you might have to bleep that out, Lisa. The, uh, <laughs> I was like, you know, this is, these are all the symptoms that I'm going through. I couldn't believe it. So then I went back in time <clears throat> and logged into the pharmacy website where I got my, my prescription filled and lo and behold, there it was, it was listed as ciprofloxacin or however you pronounce it. Um, and I was like, holy crap. And he also said in his article, um, that the symptoms could be delayed as well. And <clears throat> so it was at that moment. So it was Mercola who actually gave me the heads up to this and that was, it was a real terrifying realization for me. Like when I realized, Oh my God, this, it was this drug that did this to me. It was, it was such a sense of hopelessness and like a sinking feeling in my stomach. And I mean, in a way, excuse me, in a way it was a relief to know. And in the other way, it was more horrifying than ever. It was like a combination of like horror and relief to know what the hell had happened. I understand that. And I think that a lot of people can relate to that as well. Like, like once you know what's going on, at least you can form some sort of a plan of action or, or at least you could do some research. At least you could have some direction of what you're looking for and, and, and where to go and what support groups to join and, and whatnot. When things are just yeah. going wrong for no reason, people jump to, you know, maybe I'm dying type of conclusions. Uh, and it's, it's nice to know, it's better to know that you're poisoned than to think that you're dying. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's, it's so true. It's so true. And you know, before I even knew what specifically it was, you know, it's, it's, it's funny how dismissive, um, people in society are over this thing because a lot of times the, the response is, Oh dude, you're just getting old. You're over 40. That, that was like, that was a response I heard a lot. Yeah, and I, I think that people who are significantly older than 40, you know, people who are more like 70 or 80 or I even have – I have a friend who was 106 years old when she got floxed. Oh, and, no. and And, you know, there was that black box warning on the on fluoroquinolones 
before she got flocks that said, you know, people over 60 have an increased risk of tendon rupture. And I think that 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 warning was unfortunate for all of us who were under the age of 60, because it almost implied that people who were under the age of 60 wouldn't have these problems. But anyhow, she was 106 years old when Uh she got flocks. And she's like, this is not a sign of old age. Like, and by the way, our elderly population is getting poisoned by this stuff regularly. And then when they complain about it, when they say like, that drug hurt me, people are like, oh no, you're just getting old. Those are just signs and symptoms of getting old. And it's a way of dismissing people. And it's not nice. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's not nice. It's, you know, for years, you know, you know, before the pharmaceutical industry took over the, the entire medical establishment in America in the early 1900s, prior to that, um, you know, doctors were trained to listen to the patient because the patient knows their body best. Like the patient says, yesterday I felt great and today I feel absolutely terrible. Like, like who knows your body better than you? And now the doctors are telling you, no, 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 you don't know your own body. You don't know your own body because you're 106 years old. No, no, no. You, you probably have a, you know, one of my doctors is like, is like no, 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 you, you don't have any symptoms. It's probably all in your head. You know, it's like they're so dismissive of what the patient is trying to explain about their very own bodies. Well, and especially when the tests come out and say, like, that you're fine. And I'm sure that you had a zillion tests run, um, just like I did, and just like everyone else who's gone through fluoroquinolone toxicity has had, you know, zillion tests to figure out what in the world is going on. And all of those tests say, nope, you're the picture of health. You are perfectly normal. I was 32 years old. You were 40 years old. And... Yeah. Then the, and then they just say like, well, no, you're healthy. But no, I'm not healthy because I could walk a week ago and now I can't. I yep. could sleep a week ago and now I can't. Yeah. I could go outside my house without having an anxiety attack a week ago and now I can't. So something is going on. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. 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 Yeah. yeah, and you sort of brought up the next the next stage of my journey, you know, which I'll, I'll sort of spare all the details. But then I spent like the next eight months dealing with the BS of the Western medical system, you know, where the tests all came back fine and, you know, did tons of blood tests and for vitamin deficiencies and, M, you know, and what's that thing called? The MRI, I think, where they put – is that what it is? Or the CAT scans or whatever. They, you know, they put me in one of those machines. You know, I don't actually know what, what – kind of scan it was, but, you know, in meeting with sports therapy doctors and nervous system doctors, and, you know, the whole path that ended up costing me thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. You know, I even met with uh, functional medicine doctors who, um, you know, you know, couldn't figure things out. Like it was, it was such a, um, you know, I met with some of these people before I had figured out what it was. And I also met with some of these people after I figured out what it was, and they were pretty much all useless. Many of them were, most of them were dismissive. Many of them were completely condescending, especially once I started explaining what it, what I knew that it was. Um, and you know, it was a real terrible experience, which now leads me to my current opinion, which is that the people the people that got you into this mess are not the people who are going to be able to get you out of this mess. They're the ones that caused the problem to begin with. They don't have the solutions. It's like, it would be like talking to the arsonist who 
you know, is in the process of burning down a building and you're pleading with him to, um, to put out the fire. Well, he's, he's the wrong guy to talk to. He's the arsonist. He's causing the fire. It's like the people in the white lab coats are the ones who cause this problem. They're not the ones who can solve the problem. Right. And, um, and so I guess the good news is, and maybe I should have started the podcast by letting people know that <laughs> I'm probably about 85% better now at this point. That would be the number that I would assign it. Maybe like 85 to 90% better. And, and, you know, I don't think that I actually would be here now if I didn't start doing a lot of research on my own on things that could help with, you know, improving my body and repairing the, uh, you know, a lot of these problems, a lot of them are mitochondrial based as well. And so like we're trying to repair the mitochondria and the DNA and the, and the brain fog and all this stuff. And, um, so basically to this day, the great news is, is that I have no pain anymore, anywhere. I had a ton of pain in my shoulders and, uh, you know, and definitely in the Achilles tendons and stuff. So the great news is, is that all the pain is gone. The brain fog is still there a little bit, but it's pretty minimal now. Um, and and so I can really push through that. It's not the brain fog is, is almost completely gone. I would say at this point, the chronic fatigue is significantly less. Like it's almost, it's 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 almost gone now. So it's like I'm really, you know, I'm really close to like to like, you know, basically I'll take it. I'll take what I can get at this point. And you know, I'm really, you know, I'm 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 so much better than I was. I think one of the the things that I don't know if this will ever heal, but um, the, one of the things that's still with me is that is the snapping of my tendons, and so my shoulders are still snapping, the ankles are still snapping, cracking and stuff. Um, but the thing is, I think that those are getting a little bit less as well. Maybe I'm just not noticing them as much. Um, but I think those are getting less now that I've started taking some collagen supplements. So there was a whole bunch of things that I discovered, which, which really helped me heal my body, which I'd like to share with your, with your listeners. I would love that. The, um, one of the first things that I did, and I'm going to send you a list of all these things that I'm talking about. I'm not going to mention everything right now because I know we're, we're, um, we've been on the call for a while, but you could, but I'll let you publish it on your website so people can read through some of these recommendations that I have. Um, one of the first things I, so basically I went like a year being in a lot of pain in my, in my uh, Achilles tendons and I couldn't figure out anything to do to get the pain to go away. And the first thing that I discovered, I read this thing called the Flox Report. It's a PDF file that you can download. And in this report, they, they, they make it clear that not everybody, you know, can get healed from this, but, but they sort of give you charts and tables. You can sort of figure out where you fall on the spectrum and what you can expect to heal and maybe not heal. And so it gave me some hope that I could probably heal a lot of this stuff. And one of the things they mentioned near the end of the flash where I read every single page of it, I think it's like 150 pages or something. Um, they mentioned this thing called myofascial release, which I had never heard of before. 
And myofascial release is sort of like a special type of massage that works on the fascial system of the body. And uh, the fascial system is a whole nother discussion. Now that I know all about that, we won't get into that. And so I went in, I found um, a great therapist and not everyone was great. So I had to, I had to shop around to many different therapists. Um, but I found this great therapist. She's actually in Sedona, Arizona of all places. And after I had a one hour session with her, it was the very first time that the pain had completely disappeared from my Achilles areas. Now it came back the next morning. So it was temporary, but the, the fact that it had actually disappeared for several hours, you know, or for half a day before coming back was the first, for me, it was like the first glimmer of hope. It was like the first sign that there was something I could do about all this stuff. I think like when we have that feeling of hope, that's a very empowering feeling and it sets us down a new path. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I try to advise people, you know, I know that everyone's path is different and things that help people that help one person don't necessarily help another person. And, and every once in a while, something that helps one person can hurt another person too. And so, um, yep. you know, I try to be, I try to be careful with, with my advice and just kind of mention that like I'm sharing, I'm me, I'm sharing and all of the people who are sharing their stories are sharing what helped them, not advice for other people. But what I do advise people is that you find something that works for you. Even if it works just a teeny little bit, even if it improves you just a little tiny bit, and you stick with that, you know, stick with yep. and and note those little tiny improvements. And even though you were only pain free for an evening, you were pain free for that evening. And celebrating and appreciating that progress, I think, is really valuable. And you could build on that progress once you once you note it and appreciate it and hold on to it and cherish it a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, yeah, I totally agree with you. And you know, after that, I started researching a lot more things. And I found um, so I, so basically what I started doing was targeting each individual symptom and seeing what I can learn about that particular symptom. And, and so the next thing I really want, so so I kept seeing her for myofascial release sessions. So that helped. Um, and um, you know, I mean, I would literally fly to Arizona to see her and like spend a week in Arizona, you know, to work with her and get this done. And, um, and, and then I started working on other things like the chronic fatigue, which was the, which is the other thing that was really, really bothering me. Uh, oh, and by the way, yeah, the, the pain in the, in my, uh, Achilles area, it did take like, you know, several years, like it wasn't until this year. So it did take several years before the pain finally disappeared. So it wasn't until a few months ago, earlier this year that it actually finally disappeared. But, um, as far as the chronic fatigue, um, which I, which to me sort of was sort of went with the brain fog as well. I sort of lumped them together. I found, I discovered this incredible <clears throat> vitamin called NADH, I'll send you the link to a book about it. And um, NADH is the activated form of vitamin B3. And apparently, this is like one of the most important vitamins um, 
for the uh, the brain and for uh, the mitochondria in the system and, and for creating ATP in the cells, which is the energy centers, uh, the, you know, the energy of the cells. And apparently <clears throat> NADH is one of the most important vitamins that our cells can use for, for the brain and energy. And so I started taking NADH and this was a, another real breakthrough for me. NADH actually enabled me to get through the day without feeling like I needed to take a nap for several hours in the middle of the day. So in, and not like in a caffeine way, like where you, where you like you're jittery and then it disappears real quick. It was more of like, it was more of like that internal strength, that inner energy, you know, when you're feeling healthy. And for me, this was another breakthrough. The NADH also helped the brain fog disappear for a few hours during the day. The brain fog would eventually come back, but but it helped clear that for me as well. And so that was another real breakthrough for me. And um, as far as the tendon snapping went, this one uh, took me a while to figure out, but I finally got some collagen protein. Um, I get mine from a place called Vital Proteins. I'll send you the links to all these things. And I didn't start taking that till this year, and I sort of mixed it in with my yogurt. And um, when I started taking this, this was the first time that I believe that the snapping in my joints was reduced. And it's hard to sort of quantify that because the snapping still does happen every hour of every day, but I really feel like, like it's less now. And I'm going to continue taking this collagen and see how it goes. Um, which leads to the next thing, which is that I also discovered um, that a high fat diet is very is really one of the keys to good health as well. I'll send you a link to some books that I've read on this topic. It turns out that there have been also a lot of industries behind pushing a low fat, non fat diet, high grain, high carb diet to all of us. And it turns out that that sort of diet, low fat, non fat, high carb, high grain, high sugar, all that wreaks all sorts of havoc on the human body. And when you flip-flop that and you eat like how humans have actually eaten for hundreds of thousands of years, which is actually high, high, high fat diet, but low carbs and low or zero sugar, you can, it really benefits the body in many, many, many different ways, um, including um, reducing the risk of heart disease, strokes, cancers, obesity, diabetes, everything. And I just made that shift earlier this year. And to me, that was sort of the biggest improvement in my health that I saw when I started switching to like 80% of my calories being from high fat. And I'm not talking about like donuts fat. That's actually the bad fat. Those are trans fats, but like, like saturated and unsaturated fats, the, the fats that come from nature, like in avocados, coconut oils, fatty meats, fatty cheeses, things like that. All the things we've been told to avoid are actually the things we're supposed to eat. The New York Times actually just did a, uh, an expose on the sugar industry um, a few months ago. Maybe it was a few weeks ago. I don't remember. Um, and it, it was all about how 
for years, for like the last 50 years, the sugar industry has been has been shifting the blame to calories um, for like the obesity epidemic because they were trying to hide their own role in it, which they've known all along that sugar and carbs are actually the cause of, ironically enough, heart attacks and obesity and diabetes and cancer and strokes and all this stuff. So they have been spending, you know, billions of dollars trying to shift the blame on other things, just trying to keep their hands clean of it. Um, and so it was some sort of expose in New York Times day where they showed like internal documents and stuff. But that's a whole nother story. So when I switched to this diet, I noticed a shift, another shift in my energy and the chronic fatigue lessened even more once I shifted to that. And also one final thing I want to mention is that over the years I've been, you know, reading on your blog and other resources as well that, you know, really what, what we're all experiencing here is mitochondrial disorder, you know, because, you know, fluoroquinolones they target our DNA, like the like, I mean, can you imagine like they're out of all the things to target, they're targeting the thing that's like guides us through hundreds of thousands of years of evolution. And that's like what they're actually like disrupting our mitochondria, our DNA. And there's this, there's another, um, nutritional supplement called PQQ, which helps in mitochondrial repair. And there's a lot of supplements that now add PQQ to them. So you can get ubiquinol, which is the active form of CoQ10, and you can get PQQ with it. Um, you can also get B vitamins with PQQ um, in it as well. And I think, you know, that this is a very promising supplement to take. You know, I have been feeling better since taking these supplements that have PQQ in them. And, um, and I think that, I think that it probably beneficial to anybody that's, that's going through this. You know, so many chronic illnesses from diabetes and obesity and autism and all of the autoimmune diseases and POTS and dysautonomia and all of those diseases have connections to mitochondrial dysfunction. And the more I think that mitochondrial dysfunction is studied, I think that the better. There's a growing field called, um, uh, oh my goodness, it's a, I. It just like left metabolomics, left my head for a second there. <laughs> but uh, but meta metabolomics, I think, is really the, the future of medicine where we look at the function of cells and we go, okay, well, what, what isn't functioning quite right in the production of ATP, in the production of energy? Like, like which, which vitamins are, are needed in order for these cells to be working more, more efficiently? And unfortunately, with a lot of the medicines that are currently on the market, those medicines throw a bit of a wrench in our cellular metabolism. Rather than helping our cellular metabolism, they hurt our cellular metabolism. And that's certainly true for, flu for fluoroquinolones. Um, and unfortunately, it's true for a lot of medications. Not all of them, but, um, but, but a lot of them. And, 
and repairing our mitochondria through supplementation. Um, also things like getting out in the sunshine, fresh air, sunshine, and exercise also help your, your mitochondria. And I know that um, some of these things aren't possibilities for, for people for one reason or the other. You know, some people have a digestive tract that can't handle um, supplements for one, for one reason or another. And, um, like, like their stomach is too, is too sensitive. They can't handle supplements or some people, you know, exercise just is more than they can handle at the, at the moment. Some people are sensitive to the sun. I get that. Totally get that. But all of these things are helpful for mitochondria. So any little bit can be helpful, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, it's so true. It's so true what you say. And you know, I was going to say also when you were saying that, you know, you're right. Some people are, you know, very sensitive to taking these supplements. And one supplement that I did not mention yet was, is magnesium, which really helped me a lot. And if people can't really handle taking supplements, you, they can also get like some of a lot of these supplements such as magnesium in topical form. So like there's this company that I get my magnesium from called Ancient Minerals and you can spread this 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 magnesium lotion on your skin so it doesn't even affect your stomach and it just gets absorbed right through your skin as well. That really helped me with the insomnia uh that I was experiencing. And uh so yeah, you bring you bring us something great there that's that sometimes um and not all these supplements, of course, but some of them can be can be found topically, or like if you can't handle vitamin D three in your stomach, you know, sunshine will give you vitamin D three instead. Right, and someone who's been commenting on Floxy Hope recently, her name her name is Joanne, has been mentioning that vitamin patches have been helping her immensely. So you know, kind of again for the people who are having trouble with not being able to handle supplements through their uh, through ingesting them through their mouth and digestive system, then maybe the, the topical ones can be helpful as well. So I'm so glad that you have been able to find some things that have helped to repair your mitochondria. And I'll also mention that in our earlier conversation, you said you had tried hundreds of supplements and spent thousands of dollars on them and that just a handful of them really helped you. So thank you for mentioning that handful that helped you. Can you think of any others that you want to mention? Yeah, you know, another really, really big one, and this wouldn't even be classified as a supplement. I mean, they sell it in the supplement section, like at Whole Foods, but um, it's actually a mushroom. You know, I didn't realize this, that mushrooms are some of the most healing uh, foods on this planet. Um, there's so many of them that are medicinal. And so there's this whole line of mushroom supplements. And so I think anybody would be able to take this even with a sensitive stomach because they're it's just mushrooms. It's just a food. Um, there's... There is a whole uh, supplement line. Um, let me see what the name of the company is. I think it's called, oh yeah, Host Defense is the name of the company. I'll send you the links to these. Um, and they have a whole line of mushroom supplements. And for example, there's this one mushroom called Lion's Mane. And Lion's Mane has actually been known, I mean, it's actually been proven to help the brain and the nervous system and repair damaged nerves. And the amazing thing about this mushroom is that it actually breaks the blood brain barrier. So it actually penetrates the brain, this, this freaking mushroom. And then there's other mushrooms. Um, chaga is a mushroom that's actually been shown to repair DNA. Um, and so they sell, so this company sells chaga mushrooms. They sell lion's mane mushrooms. Uh, there's another mushroom, which 
um, I think is becoming more and more mainstream as I hear about it all the time now called cordyceps. And cordyceps has been shown to help with energy and fatigue and help the ATP centers of the cells. So what's so amazing is that like mother's nature has like all these incredible, so I, so I've been taking those mushrooms as well. And I feel like, um, that those have been helping me as well. And it's so funny that mother's mother nature has given us so much medicine in the world. Really, really powerful medicine. Was it you, Lisa, or was it somewhere else that I read? Maybe it was somewhere else. I don't remember. Maybe it was you that published an article that showed that ginger and garlic are more powerful at killing bacteria than like pretty much every antibiotic on the market. So I did and- not, I did not publish that, but an additional thing about ginger and garlic is that they're also histamine fighters. So uh, in, addi- uh. in addition to being antibiotics they are antihistamine too. And a lot of people, when they're investigating fluoroquinolone reactions, they realize that they're really histamine sensitive and have mast cell activation and, um, and histamine intolerance. So those, those can be multi-purpose wonder foods, superfoods. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. You know, even apple cider vinegar has been shown to be like an antifungal, antiviral, antibacterial. It's it's really amazing. You know, I sort of knew this stuff, sort of-ish, before I got, you know, poisoned by Cipro. And now, I'm so dialed in now, I'm so tuned into this, that really our health problems can be solved typically by mother nature. Like, like, like the earth has given us these powerful, powerful things like the ones that, you know, what you were just talking about and what I was talking about. And, you know, the pharmaceutical industry's goal is to create customers for life. If they cure you or, if, you know, you know, if they can't get a patent on something, they're not going to make money on it. Their goal is to create customers for life. They want to steer all of us away from these natural healing things as much as possible when that's really where the answers lie. So now that you're on this path of natural healing and, and a high-fat diet and using these, these supplements that you found to help yourself, how are you, how are you doing? How's, how's Scott's life now? <laughs> you, know, you know, I feel, um, I feel almost back to normal now. Um, I feel, you know, the, I would say that overall my life is back on a normal path again. Um, what, what's great now is that I'm working out again. I'm jogging again. I'm actually, um, you know, lifting weights again for the first time in many, many years. Um, so I would say that from, you know, outside experience, you know, from, from the outside looking in, you know, everything is pretty much back to normal. Uh, which is great, and it's a big relief, and and you know I feel a lot happier about that. Oh yeah, you know one other thing I forgot to mention. One of my huge symptoms was that I had like zero sex drive. There were many other symptoms as well, but I had zero sex drive for like you know like a year and a half or something, like none at all. And um, and now that's back, so so that's great. And, um, so things are pretty much back to normal on a daily basis. And, um, you know, there is still some lingering brain fog, a little bit of, uh, fatigue and definitely the snapping of the tendons, which, uh, you know, I'm working with the collagen to hopefully, hopefully repair that in time. But for the most part, you know, things are great. And I feel like internally, mentally, I've, 
you know, this journey has turned me into a new person. Um, you know, I'm certainly, certainly more vigilant about the things that are being, you know, told to us by the media, by the government, by the pharmaceutical industry. You know, I'm really, you know, you know, questioning so much more now. And these, these natural websites such as Mercola.com or healthnutnews.com, I'll give you a link to some of the ones that I read. Uh, I mean, I'll give you links to some of the ones that I read now. You know, they, they mean so, so much more to me now than ever before. And I really had no longer have a trust for mainstream news or mainstream media anymore. And, uh, and I think that's been very helpful to me in my life because I feel like, I feel like in a weird way that this experience has protected me from getting more damaged in the future. Because I can imagine that if I hadn't gone down this path now at 40, I can only imagine how many times worse this would be if this happened to me when I was 60, for example. Yeah. And I mean, now, now you know that drug, these drugs have these effects and when people try and dismiss you and say like, you know, when you're 60 or 70 or 80 years old, when they try and say like, Oh no, this effect is just from getting old. You can say like, no, no, I know better. <laughs> yeah, Like yeah. I know that these drugs are dangerous and you can, and you can refuse these drugs and maybe try, try some other things that you have found to help you. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, and even if you get like a really, you know, and, you know, we were talking about this in our first take of this podcast that even if you get like a doctor who really, you know, a lot of doctors are not like evil, you know, a lot of doctors actually do want to help. But the problem is the, the the problem is they are unable to help because they don't have the knowledge or the information. They are being brainwashed themselves by big pharma. It's like as much as I would love to fly a jet in the time of need. <laughs> if the pilot and the co-pilot on my plane suddenly both die, as much as I would love to fly that plane, even if I'm like the best hearted person, I want to save everyone on board and I want to fly that plane. I, there's absolutely no way I can walk into that cockpit and even understand what the very first thing is that I would even need to do. And it's like these doctors, no matter how much they want to help, no matter how nice they are, no matter how kind-hearted they are, they do not have the tools or the resource or the knowledge or the information or the background to help solve these problems for us. We have to figure them out on our own with the other information that's been published out there for us. You know, there's a lot of information out there, and you know your body. I know my body. We need to listen to our bodies, gather gather as much information as we can from a variety of sources. Like I think that a good doctor who's on your side can be incredibly valuable. Um, good websites that um, that give you information can be incredibly can be incredibly valuable, and those things can be so so helpful. But ultimately, I hate to say it, but like we need to look out for ourselves. And we need to listen, listen to our own bodies because no one else is going to. And that's, it's just kind of a horrible feeling like, okay, well, we're in this alone, but to a certain extent, it's good to know that it's good. It's good to realize that and just kind of look out for yourself. It's so true. It's so true. Before this experience happened to me, I didn't realize that, you know, I thought that if something were to happen, I would have all sorts of people to turn to, not just in the medical establishment, but also friends and family as well. 
and you turn and you know people end up being really dismissive some people don't know what to say or how to handle it and you end up you end up realizing that you're all alone and that nobody is going to take care of your no one cares about your health or your body as much as you do and nobody ever will care about it as much as you do so it does it falls on our shoulders it is and um and you know and then the other thing is you know sometimes you know your friends and family members they'll be dismissive too sometimes you know at least in my situ in my scenario they were like so many friends told me they're like oh well i took cipro never had any problems you know like that sort of dismissive thing and you know everybody's different there is no one size fits all out of all the tests that i paid for when i was trying to figure out what was going on the one test that was actually sort of useful for me was um they they did some sort of um i don't know what you would call it, but they were examining like the pathways in my body or something. And so this test came back and said that, oh, you have a certain pathway in your body. I don't even remember what it was called. I, I, I'd have to find the paperwork somewhere. It was like the, your P708 pathway or whatever. I'm, I'm making that up right now. It had some weird name like that. And they're like, your P708 pathway um, is very, very slow to clear in your body. And it said that, um, so be extremely cautious when taking prescription drugs because they clear your body much slower than the average person. And the dosage that you need needs to be significantly less than the average person. I bet that was the CYP pathways in your Interesting. liver. Yeah. yeah. So that's, oh, okay. that's, that's liver metabolism and fluoroquinolones guck up those pathways as well. One of the pathways, I believe it's C it's CYP, it's in the warning labels. So it's like CYP 451A or something like that. My goodness, I, I, I forget. <laughs> I, need to, I need to look these things up again. But um, yeah, our, our liver pathways and our liver metabolism and our, li and our liver health is, it's, it's important. It's so important. Yeah. And you know, it's so funny, right? Because if you know that stuff about yourself, you'll know like to steer clear of prescription drugs or be extremely cautious with that. And like, so for someone to say, oh, well, it never affected me. Yeah. It's like maybe their body cleared the drug faster than you because right. everybody is different. Right. Yeah, uh, ab absolutely. Absolutely. We each have a ge different genetic makeup. We each have different um, environmental triggers and environmental exposures that we, that we have been exposed to. So yeah. Um, I hope that the future of medicine is more individualized medicine, more natural medicine, more um, honestly, like more being open to the patient experience. I think that that is something that is absolutely necessary that is unfortunately missing at the moment. But um, uh, yeah. those are my hopes for the for the future. Um, we are yeah. we're at. An hour and 12 minutes, Scott. Oh, my so, gosh. So, stop. goodness We've gracious, we should probably wrap things up. Yeah. But, uh, Sorry for so long. Sorry. We, we were trying to do it quicker this time, too. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're great. And I, I hope that people who are listening enjoy this. Is there anything that you would like to say in closing? Any sort of closing words of advice that you would like to give people? Yeah, you know, I think that maybe just in closing, I would just say two things. Number one is that I think that having hope is really, really important in this journey. And even for the people that may not be able to fully overcome the, you know, being poisoned by fluoroquinolones, 
I, I do believe that it is possible to at least cure some of the symptoms, if not if not all of them. And so I think that taking a targeted approach and looking at one symptom after another and trying to solve them, I believe that you can at least minimize um, the pain and the stuff that you're going through. Um, and, and then the second thing, so, so, so I want to give hope, you know, so I think that, so that's like a sort of a message of hope. I do believe, you know, it took me like three and a half years to, to get to like the 85% of feeling good. And I still have healing to go and, but I'm, but I'm hopeful that I'm going to get closer to hundred percent. So that's the first thing that would be like a message of hope. And then the, then the other, the second final thing I just want to say is what you were just saying a minute ago about how hopefully the future of medicine can be more individualized and patient focused and stuff like that. And, and this journey has really, really helped me focus on the importance of every individual being able to do what's best for themselves without crazy, crazy influence by the pharmaceutical industry and, and, and other industries that only have their profits. And, and, and so this whole journey has also led me on a political front to reject both the Democrats and the Republicans who are both bought by the pharmaceutical industry. And it turned me to uh, libertarianism, which is all about people um, asserting their own individual rights to live the life that they want to live and pursue the health path that they want to pursue. And so, so that, so that's sort of a little political note the, 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 this whole journey, you know, is turned me libertarian. And, and I, I would, and I think people may want to check that, that path out as well. They're all about getting money out of politics and they're all about getting pharmaceuticals influence out of politics. They're all about getting Monsanto's influence out of politics. They're all about restoring our individual rights to take care of ourselves without money in politics. And there's a whole bunch of other things they stand for. So I don't know. So it's put me on this brand new political path as well. So that it's sort of an off topic thing, but I, but you know, it was, it was an interesting change in my life. Yeah. It's interesting how these things, these life experiences change our perspectives and, um, they could change, they, they, it changed my political sp- perspectives quite a bit too, but I'm not going to reveal in what ways. So anyhow. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your journey with us, Scott. And thank you so much for taking the time to share your journey with me twice. Um, <laughs> and, and I hope that people learn a lot from this. We'll be posting a lot of the links that Scott mentioned in the show notes and uh, please comment if you have any questions and we'll get back to you. Have a wonderful and blessed day. Here's the second part of Scott's uh, Floxy Hope podcast. It's actually the first interview with Scott and what you just listened to was the second interview with Scott. Enjoy. Thank you for listening to the Foxy Hope Podcast. My name is Lisa Bloomquist-Palmer, and our guest today is Scott Rose. Thank you so much for joining us, Scott. Oh, sure. It's great to be here. Lisa, thank you so much for everything you're doing for the Floxy community. It's really been helpful for me, and I know so many other people. Oh, I'm so glad that it's been helpful for you. I am happy to do what I can to help. You know, this community is what it is because it's a community, not just because of the things that I'm putting out there, but I'm, I'm glad that I could help. So, um, yeah, I'm glad that the other stories of the other people out there who are going through this could, could help you to make it through. So, uh, 
Before we start on your story of fluoroquinolone toxicity, can you just tell people a little bit about yourself? Oh, sure. My name is Scott Rose. Oh, you already said that. And <laughs> and I live in Austin, Texas currently, and I run a software company. I write apps for businesses. And um, I also am a public speaker, uh, and I uh, worked with Apple Computer for many years. I, uh, I spoke at all their major events and opened up uh, many of their retail stores around the country. So most of my life is technology-based um, and having something to do with Apple or software. So I've always dreamed of fluoroquinolone toxicity being featured in a TED Talk. Is that, uh, have you ever spoken out about the fluoroquinolone toxicity stuff or, or, is your, or do you mainly speak about technology when you do your public speaking? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I mostly speak about technology. I have not given any public talks on this matter yet. You know, and it's so interesting, right, because I think that a lot of us, like, we feel like, you know, our personal experiences are not enough. You know, it's we almost feel like we need to come in with all the facts and the statistics and the studies. You know, a lot of the stuff that you're doing on your blog, and yet our personal stories really are enough to get up on stage and do it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that our personal stories are what connect people with us, you know, and people, people, it resonates with people. And when they hear one story, they might go like, oh, well, that's just one personal anecdote. But once you like put all of our stories together, you go like, okay, well, there actually might be a problem here. And, you know, things like the fluoroquinolone wall of pain and all of the places that stories are told, I think are really valuable because not just because it validates our experiences, because our experiences are valid no matter what, because they happened to us, but to, but to just kind of get over the need to validate it. Say, like, not, it not only happened to me, it happened to other people, too. And I think that that's really important. Absolutely. You know, and, and what's interesting is, and I think one of the scariest things about the fluoroquinolone toxicity is that the symptoms take so long, in some cases, to show up. Like, my symptoms didn't show up for six months. And a lot of people, as you talked about before, um, don't know why they're feeling the way they are, why they have the symptoms they have. And, they, and their doctors attribute it to something else, like just depression or mental disorder or something like that. And you hear these people talking about it, and you're like, oh, my God, no, you, that's not what you, you have. You have fluoroquinolone toxicity. Right. Right. I agree completely. And just getting people to put together the pieces, I think that it's really validating and it's really empowering once people realize, like, no, I'm not in that case. Like, no, my body isn't falling apart for no reason. No, I'm not just getting old or whatever. Like, I got poisoned. And, and to yep. know that, I think, is the first step in getting better. Absolutely, absolutely. It is about putting together those puzzle pieces because the doctors don't don't are not going to put it together for you. Right, right. And so that's why I want someone to do a TED talk, or um, I've dreamed of a TED talk, or that goes viral, or um, some sort of like big article in like the New York Times or something like that. You know, something that just really gets the word out for people, so that they could, so that everyone can make these connections, so that they could go, well, yeah, I actually did take. Cipro a couple of times for a urinary tract infection before I had chronic fatigue or before I got fibromyalgia or before I started to have crippling anxiety and insomnia. You know, all of those things, like once people start yes. to together, then 
then we could have more power as a community. And it's personally empowering for them too. It's, it's so true. It's so true. I think that's a great idea. I think we should figure out how to get a TED Talk going on, you know, someone, all of us getting out there and giving TED Talks, you know, maybe at the local TED events that happen in different cities. I think that's a really, really great idea. That'd be wonderful. Yeah. You know, maybe we could talk after the podcast about some of your public speaking contacts and, and we'll, we'll see if we could make it happen. <laughs> Totally. I love it. Lisa, great idea. Thank you for, for, for bringing that up and thinking of that. Yeah. So it, anyhow, that was just, uh, you were introducing yourself and we got onto a little bit of a tangent <laughs> about public speaking. So, so why don't you tell a little bit about your uh, background with fluoroquinolone toxicity? Like what happened? What's your story? Yeah, you know, the, to, to me, uh, for me, it started in uh, June of 2013, and right now it's December 2016, so this is about three and a half years later. Um, and the one thing I should probably start off the story by saying is that I now feel that I'm probably about, like, 85% better at this point, maybe 90% better. So, so v- probably, you know like almost at a hundred percent, not quite. So that, so to, so to start off with, I want to start off by giving hope to everybody. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, totally. And so what happened was in June of 2013, I had, uh, diarrhea for like, um, 24 hours. It was like, it was like nonstop. It was like every like 10 or 20 minutes. I must've gotten some sort of bug or something and maybe, maybe in something I ate, I don't really know, but for like 24 hours, like I couldn't even sleep. It was like every 10 minutes or so I was going to the bathroom and having diarrhea. So, you know, me, I, uh, my girlfriend at the time offered to give me a, an anti-diarrhea pill. And I found out later that that probably would have helped. Um, you know, just one of those over-the-counter things that just sort of slows down the bowel movements, and, you know, just something, and they're, and they're really, really safe from what I hear. But, of course, I didn't listen to her, and I went, like, straight to the doctor the next day, which was, you know, a lot of times, you know, we, we blame ourselves afterwards for these choices that we make, and I, I sort of feel like I was blinded by the white lab coat of the doctor, and... Um, you know, I went in there, and, and I was only like 24 hours sick at this point, and, and she was, of course, you know, um, almost in hysterics about, I, you know, I might have a serious bacterial infection or a serious viral infection. She ordered, like, all these tests for me and everything, and so, um, you know, I walked down to the lab, and I did these tests, and uh, she got the results back, like, a few hours later, and... Uh, she told me that, um, or maybe it was the next morning or something. It was very shortly after I had seen, after I had seen her for the appointment. And, um, and she's like, okay, well you came back negative. She tested me for all these different things, like all the scary things, you know, like E. coli. And she tested me for something like 20 different things that whatever she could test me for. And I came back negative on all these different things. And, um, and, she was like, um, yeah, you know what? You do not have um, any of these things. Um, she said, so it's probably a viral infection of some sort that will go away on its own. Um, maybe, you know, in a, in a couple days or whatever. And then she said, 
But just for good measure, just in case it's some bacterial infection, we should give you um, an antibiotic. And um, so she prescribed me Cipro. And the funny thing is, you know, after the fact, you know, I've done like, you know, dozens and dozens of hours of research. And, you, you know, you're, you yourself are up to thousands of hours of research on this. <laughs> and, of course, I found out that, like, you know, you read over these, these, these pamphlets after the fact in Cipro and these other fluoroquinolones. And you find out that, you know, what it's actually supposed to be used for. I mean, this thing is the anthrax drug. This, is, this thing's supposed to be used for if you're in a coma, you know, and all the other antibiotics have failed. And the funny thing is, for the specific bacteria that it actually lists in the pamphlet, in the warning booklet, um, it's funny because I tested negative for everything that was listed in the book. She had already ruled out everything that Cipro was supposed to be used for. Yeah. You know, the fact that people are given Cipro for diarrhea, and especially for travelers' diarrhea, it's prescribed constantly, prophylactically, for travelers' diarrhea. Mm. And it, it, I find that to be absolutely infuriating. When people don't even have a confirmed bacterial infection, when it could very well be viral, or when it could very well be just something that someone ate, or it could just be, you know, any, any number of factors. Yeah. For people to be pr pr prescribed a drug as strong as Cipro or Leviquin or Avalox. But it seems like the go-to for diarrhea tends to be Cipro and not Leviquin and Avalox. And I'm not sure exactly why. But um, kind of no matter what, Cipro is overkill. Like, it's over give people Pepto. Oh, my God. Totally, totally. It's overkill. It's literally like taking a dropping a bomb on your house because you have a little house fly that's flying around. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And it's, it's infuriating and it's consequential too. So can you tell us a little bit about the consequences? What happened after you took those, the Cipro? Yeah. So I did not have an immediate reaction to it. So I was one of the people that had a delayed reaction and I um, took the Cipro. She had me take it for five days. She, it, luckily, I mean, I feel like maybe something that was very lucky was that she gave me a smaller dose. Uh, I guess if there's anything, I mean, I guess there's no, uh, as far as I'm concerned, there's no safe dose of it. But um, I, she was only having me take five, I guess this is still maybe considered a lot. I don't know. It was 500 milligrams per day for five days. So grand total, I took 2,500 milligrams of it. So, um, um, so I took it for the five days, and the interesting thing is that it didn't help at all. The, the, the very interesting thing is that my diarrhea actually did continue through those five days. Uh, so it was more than just a 24-hour thing, it turned out. But the funny thing was, like, on the sixth day, so I ended up having, like, a, a, about six or seven days of diarrhea. And the funny thing was, like, on the sixth day, after I had already taken the Cipro, and that didn't do anything, I finally took one of my girlfriend's anti-diarrhea pills, one of those over-the-counter ones that you can get at any pharmacy. And instantly, that sort of solved the whole problem. It sort of, like, got my body back on track. And also on the sixth day, well, it was, I think it was a combination of that, plus... I also, on the sixth day, I started taking a lot of probiotics, and um, and I also took uh, kombucha as well, which has probiotics in it. So I think, like on the sixth day, it, it had nothing to do with the with the Cipro or anything like that. I finally got 
things back on track, and then I was feeling good again. So then a few months later, it was about, um, I have to look through my notes to see exactly when it was. It was approximately October. Um, so July, August, and October, it was about October or so. Um, you know, I'm sorry, I should have written out an exact timeline with dates and times because, uh, <laughs> Before we had the chat, but I hope that this is good enough anyways, you know, just a general timeline. I, it's, it's great. The ti- timeline, we don't need to be exact. You're not on, you're not on the stand. It's okay. <laughs> okay, that's good. We're more just having a conversation about this. Right. Um, okay, great. So uh, several months later, suddenly there was some really weird shit happening in my body. The first thing that I noticed was that my fingers and my toes were tingling all the time and a little bit numb as well. You know, I guess, um, you know, the things that would fall under peripheral neuropathy. And so I was having nerve issues in my fingers and my toes. The big thing that I was noticing was that my ankles in my Achilles heels area uh, areas were in excruciating pain constantly all the time. Like I couldn't even sleep um, at night because my Achilles areas were in so much like burning pain and I couldn't even like stretch, you know, even, and it wasn't like a stretching thing. Like I tried, you know, for days and days and days to like stretch it out and like, you know, thinking maybe it was a tight muscle or something. And luckily my tendons did not rupture. Um, but it was in that Achilles tendon area on both legs. And that was like the big alarming thing for me. And then, um, as the weeks went on, suddenly, um, my tendons, um, in my shoulders and my ankles started, um, snapping. First of all, they were in a lot of pain and, they were cracking and snapping and and popping all the time. Like I was walking around like, you know, an old man. I felt like I was like 85 years old. It sounded like with every single step I took, um, you know, things were cracking in my toes, in my ankles, and my shoulders as well. And the, the shoulders came along with a lot of pain as well. It was very, very difficult. It was painful for me to even be in like the shower and try to like reach around and like, and like, uh, wash my back or something. Yeah. Um, how, how old are you, Scott? I am currently 44. So this happened when I was about 41. Okay. Just, just wondering for reference. Yeah, totally. Um, I feel like people who are maybe younger might um, do a little better when uh, perhaps, but I don't know. Yeah, um, but, but you're, you're far from elderly. You're right, right, right. Yeah. You, you shouldn't just be falling apart all of a sudden. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, and yeah, you know, I got really, really scared. And I, and this is when I started you know, diving into trying to figure out like what the hell is going on here. And to, you know, to this day, you know, there are still a few little, Oh, there are other things too. Like there was tons of insomnia. Like I never got a good night's sleep. It was the way I described it to people was that 
I was never completing my REM cycles. You know, I would, you know, I would try to sleep during the night, but I would always wake up exhausted. It would be, um, um, you know, that was difficult. My sex drive was zero. There was the energy was, um, you know, chronic fatigue is definitely, you know, a thing that people don't really understand until you have it. Right. I agree completely. Like, like yeah. when people had told me before I got floxed, like I'm, I'm, I have some chronic fatigue issues. Like, I think I just would have been really dismissive about that. And like, like it's horrible. And I hate to admit that, that I would have been dismissive, but I think I had no idea how fatigue really felt until I got floxed. And now I understand. And now I can empathize with people. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's like you. Yeah, right. Because someone tells you they're chronic fatigue, and you should, and you, t- and you think to yourself, you're like, oh, we'll go take a nap. Right, right. Like t- either take it easy for a little while, or maybe you should exercise. Like, no, it's a different level of fatigue. Exactly. You, it's like a malaise. Like you feel like you're ill constantly. It's it's like what you feel like when you have the flu and you just can't get out of bed. That sort of thing. Right. Right. Yeah. That's exactly how I describe it as as well. And you know, hopefully that description helps people to understand. Like, imagine having a constant flu, like the type of flu that makes it so that it's, it's exhausting to take a shower. You know, and. Um, yeah, it's it's good to have that. It's good to have that empathy. I'm sorry you had to go through that though. So, oh. so um, what what other symptoms did you have? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, great idea about like the shower. Or great thing you just said about the shower thing, right? Yeah, like 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 it was exhausting. Like even lifting a plate, like taking a plate out of the cabinets, like it's that level of exhaustion and fatigue. Um, the other symptoms were definitely the brain fog that you, that you talk about and other people talk about a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and sometimes I still get that a little bit, like there are still some lingering things that are happening, but I'm so, so, so much better now. But the brain fog is such a real thing. It's like, um, it's, um, you just feel like there's no clarity, when in your day and you're thinking, when you're talking, when you're just like looking outside out your window or something like it's, it's always like the fog is a, is a, is a great way to describe it because that's what it's like. It's like you're walking through a fog. Right. Right. Yeah. For me, the brain fog was the scariest thing. I was like, okay, I can deal with not doing CrossFit anymore. Like I can deal with pain, but not being able to use my brain anymore. Like that was just, just terrifying for me. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Um, yeah, that was um, yeah, and I still have that a little bit today, and it is it is scary. It is scary because you feel like you're not like you don't have complete control over your thoughts, or that your thoughts aren't um, coming through crystal clear. Right. Right. And yeah, you know, I agree with that description. I think that describes a lot of people and what a lot of people are going through for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the other things I had was there were so many things simultaneously and that it's that it's almost overwhelming. You know, one of the other things, along with the pain in my legs, um, was a ton of like muscle spasming and stuff like that Um, with um, which I think I ultimately solved by taking a lot of magnesium. Um, Sometimes it's hard, you know, to figure out like how we helped our bodies overcome some of these things because I know that a lot of us, especially, you know, I know from my experience, 
is that we try a ton of different things to get our bodies better. So sometimes it's hard to pinpoint what was the thing that you took that really helped you the most. Like at one point I was taking like 50 vitamins a day. <laughs> I finally narrowed it down to like uh, to about like 15, you know, that I still take to this day that I think were the most helpful. And I think everybody probably has different ones that probably helped them the most. Right. Can you tell us what those are that did help you? Yes. I think early on, um, one of the first ones I discovered um, was um, NADH, which is the activated form of vitamin B3. And there's actually a great book on NADH. It's called NADH, the Biological Hydrogen. And and this, I noticed immediately, helped me with my energy and helped with the brain fog as well. Apparently, NADH is one of the most important uh, nutrients for our brains. And, and it helps with, and apparently it also helps with ATP production. Apparently, they've given this to people who have Alzheimer's. This is what this book talks about. It's written by a scientist. And not only does it stop the progression of Alzheimer's, it actually reverses Alzheimer's in their tests. It's actually reversed it, and the people get their memories back again. And of course, Big Pharma is never going to talk about this vitamin. And this is like, it's an unbelievable vitamin. It also turns out, right now I've gone down this path so deep, I'm so deep down this rabbit hole now that I've discovered that pretty much everything, this is my opinion, I know it's not 100%. Um, but uh, in my mind, 100% of what government and big pharma tells us is a lie. Because everything I've discovered that's been helpful in my life for health has been the exact opposite of the propaganda that big pharma and government has told us. This is my personal opinion is going, you know, now that I've been through this three and a half year journey. And so the more I just started reading about NADH, it turns out that I discovered so many other things that NADH is produced is is actually um uh, i don't know if it's produced or if if it's part of the foods or whatever but nadh gets in your brain when you actually eat a high fat diet and so now i'm totally down this diet path it turns out right that we've been lied to these all these years about low fat non-fat diets the the ultimate health for human for the human body is a diet that's 80% fat. This is something we've never heard over the last 70 years. And it's actually the truth. Now, there, there actually need to be the good fats, not, uh, don't, not the fats in donuts. Those are trans fats. Those are the bad ones. Right. But the good fats, the ones that are in butter and, and uh, coconut oil and pastured eggs and you know bacon you know if you're having you know as long as you're doing like organic bacon not like antibiotic ridden bacon oh which brings up another point by the way people don't realize that if you're not eating organic meats you're getting fluoroquinolones in your meats that you're eating and all sorts of other junk too and all sorts of other junk and of course you know, I mean, this is not a GMO podcast, but glyphosate is in, you know, all the wheat and the corn out there that's not in the soy that's not um, um, 
you know, if you're not eating the organic stuff. And that's a toxic poison as well. Although well, this is not the glyphosate podcast. But, but glyphosate also destroys the gut, too, and interferes with, uh, with vitamin D synthesis because it, it's an antibiotic as well. And, you know, everything that people are saying about glyphosate and, like, how it destroys the gut because it, it actually is an antibiotic, I'm like, look at the antibiotics, too, people. Like, look at, like, the actual antibiotics. <laughs> you know, don't just look at glyphosate. Look at things like the fluoroquinolone. Look at, you know, not, but not just fluoroquinolones, all of the antibiotics that animals are being given, that are being put on our crops, that are being given to us as humans, too, that are being given to us under the guise of medications. And they're making us sick. Oh, my God. Totally. They're totally making us sick. Yeah, all of, yeah, totally. And, and, you know, the other thing is, is that it's crazy that, that we don't even need to directly take this stuff, but we're getting all these things indirectly through our food. Right, right. And, and a- antibiotic resistance is a huge concern, but there are some other concerns, too. And it seems like antibiotic resistance is the only one that's really acknowledged. Yeah, isn't that interesting? That's the only one you hear about when there's so many other things that are, that are just as bad or if not worse than that. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, Dr. Mercola talked about that, that one of the reasons that fluoroquinolones are so dangerous is because the active, and you know this better than me, that the active ingredient in these drugs is a fluoride molecule. And, and the thing is, is that fluoride is put in our water supplies, it's put in our toothpaste, and like these are, this is why, you know, we need to be drinking like clean, pure, like bottled water. Um, you know, that has no fluoride in it. And we shoot, and we have to be like brushing our teeth with toothpaste that doesn't have fluoride in it. Like basically, in a way, you can, uh, you know, I almost think of like fluoroquinolone poisoning is like advanced fluoride poisoning in a way. And it may be like there, there are a lot of people who have different opinions of about this in the fluoroquinolone community. And personally, I think that both quinolones and fluorine are incredibly toxic. You put them together, it may, it's just double whammy, right? Like so the, so the quinolones before they became fluorine were also pretty darn toxic. They had they had a really nasty side effect profile. But if you just look at fluoride and you look at the effects of fluoride and fluorine, it also is incredibly toxic. It's just a master oxidant, not an antioxidant, an oxidant. So like the opposite of everything good about antioxidants is what fluoride does. And if you want to read a good book about fluoride and the damage that it does, read a book called The Devil's Poison. And of course, given that title, it has quite a bit of hyperbole in it, but it's actually really well-researched and quite interesting. Like you don't have to agree with absolutely everything that's in it. I question some of the things that are in it, but I think that people should know um, some of the things that are in it. Everyone should at least read it. The Devil's uh, Poison. And I forget who it's by. It's by a dentist. I forget his name. Interesting. That is a great, uh, that is a great tip. I'm, I'm part of an organization called the, uh, as a result of all this I've been through, uh, called uh, fluoridealert.org. And they talk about a lot of this stuff as well. I wonder if they uh, know about that book. I'm sure they do. That's a thank you for the recommendation. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure they do. And just the more I research on fluoride, the more I just go, this is insane. It's insane to be putting it in our water. It's insane that we're not just getting it out of our water, for goodness sake. And like, if people want to apply it directly to their teeth, I suppose they can, except not even being able to dose it properly by putting it yeah. into our water is insane. It's absolutely obscene. And like I'm looking over right now, I get my water from reverse osmosis. I get it from Vitamin Cottage here in Colorado. And, 
Yeah, I, I don't, I try to avoid tap water. I'm not super, super diligent about it. And I wasn't super diligent about it as I was recovering. Um, so just to kind of let people know out there that you don't have to avoid absolutely every source of fluoride in order to recover. My personal story is an example of that. But yeah, I, the more I look into fluoride, the more I just go, this is, this is crazy. This is really crazy that we're intentionally poisoning ourselves. Absolutely. And yeah, and you know, and, and, and what you said about the dosing, right? It's like, it's, it really violates uh, uh, the patient's right to consent because like you, you don't know what you're getting dosed in the water. You can't say no to it. Right. And, um, you know, one thing also that helped me is I put on a, uh, a filter. I, it's, it's not an anti-fluoride filter, but on the, uh, it's an anti-chlorine filter on my shower. And that made me feel a lot better as well. And that, and then who knows, maybe that was the placebo effect or not. I don't know. But I do now have a filter on my shower as well. And that makes me feel better. I feel like, I feel like that, that, that may have helped a little bit in, in, in some mental way. <laughs> That's great. Whether it's mental, if it's the placebo effect, or if it's a real measurable effect, it helped you. And that's, both of those things count. Totally, totally. You know, um, oh yeah, and one thing is there's so, so, so many books out there. I'm probably on like my 10th book now, um, where I'm reading about the, uh, the high fat diet, and how it's so incredibly helpful to reverse all sorts of diseases, including heart attacks and um, and um, strokes and cancers, and and it's it's all the science that has been that has supported the high fat diet um, has been suppressed by the U.S. government and the big food manufacturers. And I've read you know so many books on this, and I think a good one that I would recommend for people to look into this, uh, uh, and there's so many good ones, but one of the ones I really liked was called The Big Fat Surprise. The Big Fat Surprise. And what's interesting about this book is she, it's like fully documented, and she goes, it is a blistering attack on the government and how they, for 70 years, they've hid all the evidence about how just eating sticks of butter basically can completely reverse your, you know, the, 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 the possibility of getting a heart attack or a stroke. The fact that we actually need high levels of cholesterol to fight cancer. And I really felt, for me personally, that when I switched over to the high-fat diet, I feel like in addition to my vitamins, and which I, which I can tell you more about those, and the other things I was doing, I feel when I switched over to the high-fat diet, I felt like that was the greatest acceleration for me personally um, um, for curing my fluoroquinolone toxicity. That's when I noticed the biggest improvements for myself. So on your high-fat diet, is it also low-carb or are you um, high-fat and normal carbs? It's, that is true. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. It's, it's high-fat, medium-protein, and low-carb. Okay. And yeah, so that's that's my personal diet. So basically, what I'm eating now is completely different than what I was eating three and a half years ago. I am eating all the stuff that we've been told to avoid, such as um, um, uh, eggs. You know, with the I'm talking about egg yolks. You know, yeah. with the yolks, um, bacon, uh, fatty sausages, whole milk yogurt, not non-fat fat-free yogurt, you know, none of that stuff. That's all crap. That's all sugar. But whole fat yogurt, um, coconut oil every single day, 
you know, spoonfuls of coconut oil, nuts, you know, fatty nuts like macadamias, walnuts, pecans, Brazil nuts. Uh, cashews are good too. You know, they're a little bit high in carbs, but cashews, almonds, um, seeds, um, you know, all sorts of, I'm trying to think of some other things. I think I mentioned avocados, um, um, cheeses, raw cheeses, particularly, um, you know, getting fatty cuts of meat. So instead of lean cuts of meat, get the fat, the extra fat. So like if you're going to have a steak, go for the ribeye, not the, the leaner cuts. Or if you're going to go get like a brisket, get the fatty side of the brisket, not the lean side. Basically, in essence, everything that I, that I try to eat these days, I look at the, <clears throat> at the nutritional content and I try to make it I try to choose things where the fat is higher than the protein and the carbs on it. Um, you know, nut butters. Oh, definitely just butter, you know, grass fed butter, uh, sour cream, you know, just like put tons of sour cream on your tacos. Like that's a hundred percent fat. I, you know, instead of drinking milk, I'll drink uh, heavy whipping cream instead. It's basically just the fatty part right. of the milk, like one of my best treats of all. And one of the other things that I add in, now this is actually all protein and not fat, and I know that other people on your uh, podcast have talked about this, um, collagen has helped me out tremendously as well. Okay. Tell, tell me more about collagen. Like what, uh, what form do you use, what brand, et cetera? Uh, I use this thing called, uh, or the brand I get is called Vital Proteins, um, and it's... Uh, they call it collagen peptides. And I actually just started this about less than a year ago. And um, uh, so, so this year I started it. And this, when I, I started mixing this into like my, my whole milk yogurt, and uh, that's how I take it. You could stir it into pretty much anything. And this has helped a lot with my snapping tendons. I noticed that, you know, that from all the snapping that was going on in my shoulders and my ankles and my toes and my, and even my fingertips, which I did not mention earlier, um, they were constantly snapping, you know, they, it must be what arthritis must sound like. And once I started taking the collagen, I, I'm still getting some of the snapping in my ankles um, but I've noticed that in the smaller areas, the snapping has disappeared. So the snapping is not happening as much in my toes or even at all in my toes and my fingertips. And the snapping has actually stopped in my shoulder as well. In fact, the only place where the snapping is still happening is in my ankles. And I'm hoping that the more I take this collagen, that it, that it may help um, with that long term as well. Well, that's great. That's fantastic. Um, what are some other of your favorite supplements or um, pieces of advice that you'd like to give? Yeah, this is what I, what I would tell. Before I discovered your blog, one of the things that gave me early hope was that um, I found that, that PDF file called the Flox Report. Uh-huh. And I would highly recommend this. This actually guided me to a path of success, I believe. Uh, one of the things that the Flox Report really helped me with was um, it, there's a lot of tips buried in there that you might not that you might overlook at first because they're just mentioned like in a paragraph or so. And one of the things that the Flox Report 
turned me on to, which I had never, ever, ever heard before, was myofascial release. And have you heard of myofascial, Lisa? Uh, like, I, I've heard those words before, but I don't know exactly what it is. So, uh, what is it? Well, if you, uh, there is a, well, what it is, is, it's like massage. It's similar to massage. And you can go to a website to learn about it, myofascialrelease.com. Um, it's M-Y-O-F-A-S-C-I-A-L, release.com. John Barnes is the guy that created this. Um, he discovered in the 1960s or so that the entire body has this, has, uh, this fascia inside of it. And doctors now, right, like, like 60 years later, doctors are finally saying, oh, wait a second, there's fascia in the body? And this guy like discovered it like 60 years ago. Anyways, long story short, it's a special type of massage that um, releases um, the myofascial tensions in the body so it can actually help your body um, cure itself from all sorts of crazy things and pain and all sorts of stuff. And it really works on a deep, deep, deep layer of your, of your body's tissues. And it's a very peaceful um, type of massage. They like hold your body and stretch it in weird ways. And they're pushing, pushing on pressure points and not all myofascial therapists are created equally. So you might have to shop around to find one that works really great for you. I actually found a woman, um, in Sedona, Arizona, um, who's my favorite in the entire country. Yes. I, w- I went from state to state looking for the best myofascial therapist. <laughs> Do you know any good ones in Denver? Uh, you know, I, oh, you know, I'm so sorry. I did not look at Denver. I was, I was sticking to warmer climates. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. And spe- speaking of fascia though, that's one thing that my, uh, my Pilates instructor really focused on when I was doing Pilates quite a bit. She, we would do like these roller exercises where like there's this big foam roller and I'd rub like the outside of my leg and hip on it and man, it hurt, but I think it was doing some good. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And a lot. Yes, totally. And so if you think about that foam roller, yeah, and and how that really helps, myofascial goes even deeper than that foam roller goes, deeper into your body. And so it's sort of like the foam roller, like on steroids, basically. Okay. And and for me, the reason, and and, and I love the foam roller, and I do the foam roller at home as well. Um, And so I'm a big fan of the foam roller, too. And the, the, the thing for me about this myofascial was that when I went to my first session with this woman, Jody, um, it was unbelievable. It was the first time in a year and a half that I, I had no pain in my legs. Now, the pain – now my pain is gone, thankfully, in my legs. But now the pain after the myofascial session did come back two days later. But – it was the first time, I think we all had like that first moment where we had a glimmer of hope that maybe we weren't like in a permanently stuck situation. Right. And for me, when I had that first myofascial session with her and the pain, I walked out of her office and there was no pain in my body at all. That was my first glimmer of hope. Instead of me being hopeless, that was my first glimmer of hope that, oh my God, wait, things can really things can really change here and things can really improve. That's awesome. 
Everyone needs that hope, you know? Like I wrote a post about how everyone needs a lifesaver, someone who just saves our life and turns things around for us. And, you know, you could get that from a variety of places. Personally, I attribute that to my, uh, to my acupuncturist. I feel like he saved my life. Like he, he got me to a place where I felt like I could get through it. And wherever people find that, it's, it's so valuable. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know what? And I see acupuncture uh, and acupuncturists regularly too. And acupuncture really does make a difference. It, it, did uh, for, it did for me as well. And, you know, kind of again, if that's the placebo effect, if it's just kind of being calming, if it really, if it's, um, you know, exactly what they say it is, if we're putting needles in the meridians changes the energy, then all of that is great. Like I've been studying the vagus nerve quite a bit and uh, acupuncture and chiropractic and probably even some other uh, alternate exercises, things like massage, uh, really help the, uh, the vagus nerve and help vagal nerve tone. And then vagal nerve tone, in turn, helps to control inflammation. And so, you know, it all works together. And all of these ancient practices, they're really being validated now by science. And I think it's great. Isn't that so funny? Like, science finally comes around to what humans have figured out thousands of years ago. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Like, there's, there's, the, there's a meme that says something along those lines <laughs> that I've seen. <laughs> so, so um, are, are there some other things that you'd like to talk about that you'd like to mention that really helped you on your journey? Yeah. Absolutely. Just a few more things. I know we're, oh, you know, we've gone way over the time probably. So I'll oh, just, it's, a, just it's Okay. <laughs> Oh, okay, cool. The um, yeah, a few other things that have really that really helped me a lot. I went through a path of you know spending thousands and thousands of dollars on vitamins and supplements, and as I was mentioning earlier, I finally got down to a handful that helped. NADH was one of the early ones for me, as I talked about, um, and I think another one that's really helped. Um, is um, MitoQ, I think, helped a little bit, which you talk about a lot. Sure. Um, and also, um, you know, everybody um, um, probably already knows about this one, but CoQ10 in the ubiquinol form. And what I found is if you go to a company called lifeextension.com, they have a product called Super Ubiquinol with enhanced mitochondrial support. Um, and Apparently, they've done studies on ubiquinol. Ubiquinol, uh, according to Dr. Mercola, is um, the form that's most uh, the form of CoQ10 that's most easily absorbed by the body. And what they have done, Life Extension, they found that ubiquinol is absorbed by your mitochondria at a much, much, much higher rate, like like hundreds of times more, um, if you add the special herb to it. Um, let me see if I can read what the name of this herb is. Anyways, they put it in their product. It looks like it's called, I can't even pronounce it, Shilajit or something. Uh, I don't even know. But anyways, they've added this herb to their super ubiquinol product. And, and they actually call this product enhanced mitochondrial support. Because as we know, you know, um, you know, that, uh, fluoroquinolones, they affect the mitochondria. And so I had been looking for things that, you know, helped repair the mitochondria. And, and so that's one of them. It's this uh, super ubiquinol. And I really felt that I, that I felt like that helped me a lot with my energy. Another one is that people, I think, already are starting to get to know about is PQQ, which helps repair the mitochondria as well. And I found a great product 
from pure encapsulations. They make a B, a multi-B vitamin. It's got all, all these activated B vitamins in it. And they also put PQQ in it. So the company's name is Pure Encapsulations. And the product is Ultra B Complex with PQQ. And I know there's other companies that, that uh, make B products with PQQ also. And that one really seemed to make a difference for me as well. Um, and the other thing is... Um, definitely magnesium. I also buy a lot of my stuff from Pure Encapsulations. Oh, they don't sell directly to consumers. You have to find a place that sells them. Um, I get them through this website called naturalhealthyconcepts.com. Oh, I think the way it works is um, you have to have a I – don't, I don't know how it works. You have to get like a doctor's approval to buy their vitamins or something. And so if you call up naturalhealthyconcepts.com – They'll ask you, do you have a doctor's permission to buy these vitamins and all this stuff? And then you have to, you know, you have to go through a little survey with them and then you can, you can buy these products. And so I also, so magnesium has really helped me out as well. I got also from life extension, I got neuromag, it's magnesium threonate. And I felt like that also helped me with the brain fog. You know, I think there's a lot of these things in combination that help me with different symptoms. Um, going back to the pure encapsulations, I get the magnesium glycinate from them, or glycinate, however you pronounce that. And I also get the pure encapsulations MSM powder, which I felt was helpful as well. And another thing I discovered, and I learned some of this through Dr. Mercola as well, um, who I love reading, Mercola.com. Um, is the, the healing power of mushrooms. So I have a whole bunch of different supplements from, from uh, hostdefense.com. And these are a whole bunch of different mushroom supplements uh, that have been put out by, like I guess, the world's best expert on mushrooms. And apparently, like the cordyceps mi- mushroom totally helps with ATP and energy. Uh, then lion's mane is a is a mushroom that helps with the brain and repairing the brain. And um, and there's chaga and reishi and there's all these different mushrooms. And they sell them together also, like in a in a super mushroom vitamin. And so I've been taking that, and I feel like that's really helped me as well. And of course, vitamin D as well. That's great. That is a huge amount of val- of value. And I think that the people listening to this, if they're writing notes, um, are going to spend a lot of money on supplements. But um, <laughs> it's, it's unfortunate that these things aren't free. But, uh, but thank you so much for going through all of like, the trial and error and sharing what has helped you. Um, like you were saying earlier in the podcast, you tried more like 50, and that's more like 15. So thank you for narrowing it down and experimenting on yourself and letting us know what has worked best for you. Those those all sound amazing. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Sorry to do a whole big monologue on all this stuff. No, <laughs> no. I think it's I think it's fantastic. So, um, we are running a little bit low on time. So, can you tell us a little bit about how you're feeling now? Um, any sort of closing thoughts? Any sort of advice you'd like to give people? Yeah, you know, I think. Well, first of all, I'm feeling pretty good these days. You know, I'd say there's a few little lingering effects. Like I still have a tiny, tiny bit of brain fog, but, um, but it comes and goes. It's not all the time. And, um, and most of the tendon, uh, snapping has disappeared except in my ankles. And, um, 
And almost 100% of the pain is gone. So I'm pretty much pain-free on a regular basis. So, so overall, um, and all the other symptoms are gone, like the peripheral neuropathy is gone. Um, the sleeping is almost 100% now. Sometimes there, there is still some problems with that. But overall, I'm doing pretty great. But I think that maybe the, the sort of the biggest advice that I would give anybody is that only you personally, individually, are going to care the most about your health. You know, down the path of me spending thousands and thousands of dollars on supplements was also the wasted, worthless path of spending thousands and thousands of dollars on the traditional Western medical system. And I can tell you from my personal experience that the system that got you into this mess is not the system that's going to get you out of this mess because they have no answers. You know, they always say, oh, if you're experiencing these side effects, contact your doctor. Well, the doctor, they don't know. They have no idea what to do. They're the ones that got, it would be like going to the arsonist who burnt down the place or, and asking him to put out the fire. Like, it's impossible. The traditional Western medical system, in my personal opinion, does not have the ability to get you out of this mess. They, and so, they, they just don't know. You know, like they're, I, I, yeah. I agree. I totally agree. I'm not trying to be argumentative. But like, like I think that there are plenty of good doctors out there who just, when they're faced with this, they get kind of that deer in the headlights look of no one ever taught me how to deal with an adverse reaction. You know, it's like they'll say until they're blue in the face, all, all drugs have side effects. And yes, all drugs have side effects. Well, what do you do once you face some side effects? Like pump someone full of prednisone is pretty much what happens. Wow. And, and that's not helpful. <laughs> that hurts people even worse, you know? Or, or people go to them and they say, like when I went to the rheumatologist, she said, well, take some Benadryl. Um, thanks. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> that's not helpful right yeah exactly exactly and you know and my i heard those same things from my doctor she was like, well all drugs have side effects and the doctors you know and she was telling me that 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 i was crazy and that all these symptoms were in my head and all this stuff like like it's, it's sometimes it can get offensive with what these doctors say oh yeah yeah i mean lots of people have been have have experienced great offense from from doctors and you know like not trying to bash the ones who are kind and compassionate and who and who want to make people better but i mean i've heard i've heard about people getting fired from their doctor's office from their doctor's practice because they question a medication and like come on docs like don't do this to people like they're just try- people are just trying to get help like our society tells us that when you're sick you go to the doctor like yeah, if you're broken, right. the doctor, you go to the doctor, the, doc- the doctor will fix you. And when we find out that that's not true slash a blatant lie, it can be really heartbreaking. And then for doctors to just further break people's hearts, it's, it, I, see, I see people going through a lot of pain and it kind of breaks my heart. It's, uh, you know what, I totally agree with you, Lisa. And, you know, I, I, I sat through that entire, have you heard about that 16-hour documentary called The Truth About Cancer? Um, I watched a teeny bit of it. So, yes, I have heard of it, but I didn't uh, watch the full 16 hours. Okay, yeah, I actually, <laughs> believe it or not, I actually watched all 16 hours of the documentary. Uh, not in one sitting. And... Uh, <laughs> 
And um, what's amazing is in the very first hour of that of that documentary, you know, they talk about how the entire Western medical system, every every single doctor in our society goes through the same training, and it's all completely sponsored and paid for by the trillion-dollar pharmaceutical industry. These doctors, you know, the ones that mean well, they don't know any better because they themselves have been brainwashed. The only thing on their board exams is just answering uh, answers about uh, uh, pharmaceutical drugs, and that's it. Yeah. You know, there's no nutrition courses even necessary. There's no nutrition courses offered in if you were to become a doctor in America. So you're right. So even these ones that are like, like super warm and kind and compassionate, they just don't know. They don't have the information to give you. So, so even if they wanted to, they can't help you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a really unfortunate situation. And, um, I, I feel most sorry for the people like us who got hurt by the system and, and even more for the people who are worse off than I am, the people who don't recover, you know, who are irreparably hurt by this, by this system. But I also feel sorry for the people who are involved in it, like who don't even realize like that they're that they've been a bit brainwashed that there is another side to the story that maybe we could actually trust our bodies that yeah. that if we if we give our bodies the nutrients that they need maybe our bodies can heal our can heal themselves absolutely absolutely and you know it's um yeah, I, I totally agree. Agree with you. You know, I mean, our body, you know, the nutri- the right nutrients can help us heal our body. We can even heal mitochondria. We can even heal collagen that's been, you know, and tendons that have been torn. Like, our bodies are so incredibly amazing, and and I think when we realize that our partner in healing our body is is not the people in the white lab coats. Like now, I know about this whole experience. So. Again, sorry about the pause. Scott, what are some closing thoughts <laughs> about this whole experience? <laughs> I think that um, I think in closing is that, um, yeah, you know, I think in terms of our, our, our health, I think that the, the answers are out there and our bodies are amazing and our bodies can heal as long as we have the courage to step outside of the one trillion dollar industry, which is trying to dominate our minds, the you know big pharma and traditional Western medicine, and I think what I was saying right when we got cut off is that the I finally figured out for myself that it, the people in the white lab coats are not my friends in health, in my journey for health, and the people who are my friends are my acupuncturist, my chiropractor, my myofascial release therapist. Companies like Pure Encapsulations and Life Extension who are actually creating vitamins that provide us with optimum health. The people who are risking, you know, being discredited by publishing books like The Big Fat Surprise, which actually, surprise, surprise, are, we need 80% of our diet to be in high-quality fats. And that, that cures almost everything in terms of, uh, in terms of cancers and heart disease. Stores. Like, it, it's unbelievable once you step outside the quote-unquote mainstream, how there's so much health and healing available to all of us. And in a way, I actually feel, (laughs) this is sort of, this is crazy, Lisa, but in a way, I sort of feel extremely grateful for the fluoroquinolone poisoning because I feel like the path that I'm on now is 
probably the healthiest path I've ever been on in my entire life. Even my body looks incredible now. And like I, I've lost weight in a good way. And I, and I'm getting more and more energy back every day. And I know more and more about, about how to eat and vitamins than ever before. And I never would have been down this path if I didn't go through this whole nightmare. And, and yeah, that's important. These journeys, they, they lead us down these paths for a reason. And learning, learning a new paradigm, it's huge. Learning a new way of thinking about the world, that's huge. Being a happier and healthier person, that's huge. I wish we didn't have to get floxed to get those things, but I guess that was our journey, right? <laughs> <laughs> totally, yeah, yeah. You know what's so sad? There's a, there's a whole irony to this whole thing. You know, I, I used to read uh, Mercola.com on occasion. Now I read it every single day religiously. You know, I think that he's got it down. Like 99% of what he says is like right on the money. And the, the, the really, the whole ironic thing about this is I sort of half read his articles in the past and I actually had looked through my uh, web browsing history and it, it turns out that I had actually read his article warning people about fluoroquinolones just a few days before I got um, floxed myself. And if I was only paying more attention to what he was actually trying to say in these articles, I would not have had to gone down this whole path. Now I take what he says religiously. <laughs> yeah, and, and hopefully hearing it from mo multiple sources, hopefully hearing all of the articles that people share on or reading all the articles that people share on Facebook, hearing this podcast, maybe some people are even listening to this in the car with family, you know, and they'll, they'll get the word about how dangerous these drugs are. So I really appreciate you coming on the podcast to help to spread the word and... Um, yeah, spreading your story, letting people know what helped you. Your journey is really inspirational. And so thank you so much, Scott. Really appreciate your time. You're welcome. And Lisa, thank you so much. You, your blogs helped me so much and gave me so much hope. And I really appreciate everything that you've been doing. And uh, so thank you so much. Oh, well, it's, it's my pleasure. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Have a wonderful day. <laughs>